Hello, I'm Yonit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv. And I'm Jonathan Friedland of The Guardian in London. And we are Unholy, two Jews on the news. Hi, Jonathan, how are you? I'm all right, Yonit. You know, I'm okay. The, it's uh, hot and sweaty in London a bit. It's a little bit muggy. And uh, how are things where you are? Well, same here, by the way. I mean, completely. I think it's a gazillion degrees outside in Tel Aviv. Uh, you're not missing anything right now and definitely not missing the fact that the comeback kid, no one ever missed coronavirus is back. I guess, well, you have to kind of disappear and then reappear to be the comeback kid. But it's back in Israel, for sure. How are things over there, by the way? Well, it's it's here too. And there is a graph doing a lot of circulation here in which it shows the numbers of cases plummeting for our European neighbours and heading skyward for Britain because coronavirus cases are very much back here through the uh, so-called Delta variant. And everyone's just waiting on the edge of their seat to see uh, what so far seems to be the case, which is, yes, these cases are back, but they are not leading to hospitalizations and deaths. But it does just lead to that feeling that, you know, this this could, has never really gone away. And maybe one day we're not going to be lucky, you know, that one day uh, the virus will mutate in such a way that the vaccines cannot catch it and that is a worry yeah. but um the vaccine only has to get lucky once it has to find one variant that gets through and then it's pretty scary yeah that that's some gloomy small talk on our part i have to say this but yeah our, i mean the yes this is our, this is our idea of cocktail chatter <laughs> you and me message to listener do not invite your neat and Jonathan to your parties because exactly. they'll bring it right down yeah, i mean like after you we used to do this like after 10 minutes start talking about and now it's like after 30 seconds we just put the gloom on um no i mean here as well you have that the fact that 35 percent of the infected here are fully vaccinated people who have been fully vaccinated that's the downside of this delta variant in israel that they have more than 100 cases a day and outbreaks in schools but i think the upside is as you said we have not yet seen an uptick in mortality rates or in 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 uh serious severe cases which might mean that thus far the vaccines are are holding up. I think yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the phrase everyone use used to use was we're going to have to learn to live with COVID, and mm-hmm. you know it was a platitude. It didn't necessarily mean anything, but I think maybe now this is actually what it means. It means accepting that this thing is going to uh, mutate. There are going to be variants, and in a way, accepting that and accepting that there will be infection rates going up and down. And uh, as long as it doesn't lead to deaths, then you kind of maybe have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, you had the director general of the uh, Ministry of Health here saying maybe what we're, we're going to see is that you're going to have to take a shot every January, kind of like a flu shot. It's going to have the different variants, including this is what we're going to be living like. Uh, and that is OK. It's contained. Yeah. It, it, and, again, when, it means uh, that the- and when you say, you know, kind of like the flu shot here, the health officials here are saying actually really like the flu shot, as in you may take it with the flu shot, because the worry that, you know, it's almost like this, the Jewish mother needs something to worry about if there isn't something else. Now people are saying <laughs> flu is going to be the thing yeah. to worry about because everyone was hiding indoors and during lockdown and therefore we didn't get flu and therefore didn't build up the immunity. So some right. officials are saying that's what we're going to have to worry about is a big wave of flu and maybe the remedy will be to double shot in the autumn yeah. and get covered for both. So we have that to look forward to. Oh, yeah. And again, we always have something to worry about. So the news business will continue to flow, Jonathan. Yeah, that doesn't uh, just, just putting that in parentheses. The one thing interesting here that to note in Israel is how different the sort of rhetoric and style of 
the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, still needs time to get used to that, in comparison with, with Netanyahu. Now, obviously, the numbers during the height of the pandemic were demonstrably higher, but you had Netanyahu with his rhetoric saying, we're on the Titanic, this is World War III, you know, in every sort of press conference, this was the imagery that he was presenting to the Israeli public. And now you have Bennett standing on the podium and saying something like, well, don't travel abroad if you don't have to, and don't you know, have events indoors if you don't have to. It's kind of like, don't get COVID if you don't have to. You know, it's something, it's a, it's a kind of toning down of, of the rhetoric. That could be um, really popular, actually. I mean, just the idea of somebody who is just a bit calmer and yeah. where, you know, I hesitate to say Bibi Netanyahu was the most hyperbolic politician in the universe ever because that's hyperbole. But the point about Little, him was that yeah. he was... Um, always dialing up the rhetoric to 11 and maybe people will think as my late mother used to say it's a yontif when someone you know <laughs> just is a bit different it gives everyone a day off and maybe people have been needing that yeah i mean definitely look i think his detractors netanyahu's detractors would definitely say he would also use that as pol- for political gain to kind of scare everyone and definitely it takes kind of time getting used to the fact that someone is talking differently about this. By the way, I don't know how many people know this outside of Israel, but but Bennett really, his main criticism against Netanyahu was the coronavirus, his mishandling, what he saw as Netanyahu's mishandling, the coronavirus, who even wrote a book uh, called How to Beat COVID. It's more a essay, really, uh, How to Beat COVID. And now he might be writing the sequel to that. But no, but seriously, this is his big test, right? And we still don't know where this is going. We, as we said, we don't see a rise in hospitalizations, but... In two weeks, this might be taking a different turn, and it will be uh, Naftali Bennett's uh, big, big test. First, so big what's test. the sequel? Is how to beat COVID again? <laughs> and BB, I said how to beat. Maybe <laughs> happy to be how to beat BB. Um, yeah. yeah. So that I mean, he might be working about uh, this. I mean, he he was. You know, this came out in the mid in the height of the the pandemic. It's a hundred and forty page book uh, by Netanyahu. This was kind of ridiculed as, "What are you doing here? Why are you trying to tell me how to run uh, things?" But he really sort of became this prominent voice during the pandemic saying, you know, Netanyahu isn't handling this correctly. And for him, if you met him and he spoke to you, he would say that is the moment where he realized that Netanyahu needs to be replaced. Right. No, I think that's going to be one of his tests. But there are many Mm -hmm. um, tests for the new prime minister. And from this distance, I've been really fascinated to see how he's going to deal with, in some ways, the issue that defined his predecessor, among others, I suppose, but is Iran. And that is back in the news again, Yonit. Oh, yes. Uh, talk about another comeback topic that is back in the headlines. So Iran, Iran's nuclear ambitions, of course, the nuclear deal uh, intended to curtail these ambitions. So we have the same problem, Jonathan, but different leaders. You have a new prime minister in Israel, a new-ish president in the United States, and of course, uh, a new president in Iran, a new guard everywhere. Now, Iran itself uh, elected on Friday, and I use the term elected loosely. Uh, as I said, a new president, Ibrahim Raisi, an extreme hardliner among hardliners, right? Infamous for being one of the four judges who ever saw the torture and mass execution of 5,000 Iranians in the late 80s, including women and children. And then ever since climbing the uh, nefarious ladder and becoming a protege of the uh, supreme leader, uh, Khamenei, to the extent that many people believe that he might actually be his successor as supreme leader. But again, the question here is, what does this mean for the Iran deal? I think both Washington and Jerusalem assess that he will move forward with this in any case. He uh, will begin his tenure uh, in August. So many people think that actually the United States is going to hurry and try and sign the deal before, before August. Yeah. I mean, it's funny all this because it assumes that the change of Iranian president is 
a big deal. Whereas, in a way, because they did go from Ahmadinejad, you know, some of us have less than fond memories of him, over to Rouhani, and he was billed as the reform guy. And in a way, nothing really massively changes because the decisions are taken by the supreme leader. And, you know, as you said, it, was, it wasn't a kind of real election. All the other potential dissenting candidates found themselves mysteriously struck off the ballot paper, you know, a technique that some politicians that's might... That's actually might, truly rigged elections, yeah, if you want mem- to look up what that means. To, memo to Bibi next time. <laughs> go go Iranian and just cut, just strike a line through Bennett's name and Lapid's name. It may work out well for you. You never know. But uh, anyway, my habit is now not so much to look at the the change and just think it's the decision is comes from the Revolutionary Guard and the president and the supreme leader at the top. Nevertheless, uh, you're right. There is this change everywhere. And I suppose the interesting thing is that one bit of, of the dynamic is I always felt that when Obama was seeking this deal, he was really desperate and in a kind of hurry for it. He didn't have a legacy. It was 2015. The clock was running down on his presidency. Joe Biden is not in that kind of hurry. Mm -hmm. He's got some time and he's already got a big domestic achievement, the COVID support bill. He is not, um, you know, hullishing for a deal. Here I am going again. I'm in some weird Yiddish thing at the moment. But the, um, We're, we encourage this. We encourage I think it's this. the heat, actually. I think it's the heat that's doing it to me. Anyway, he's not desperate for the deal in the way that Biden was. And I think that might, you know, sorry, in the way, the Obama, way Obama was. was and yeah. that may change the dynamic. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's true that uh, especially Kerry was criticized for being overeager uh, uh, to get a deal and that Biden is at least sort of sending out the message that he's not going to make a deal at all costs, right? I mean, he's not going for this in any uh, way. I would also note that, again, there, there is a bit of a change of tone from the Israeli side. I mean, remember, Netanyahu never, at least in the last weeks of his tenure, never allowed his officials to go to Washington and talk about the JCPOA, the Iran deal. He would say, no way, don't talk about it. It's a bad deal. We don't want any part of it. So you had Yossi Cohen, the director of the Mossad, and, and Mary Ben Shabbat, his national security advisor, in Washington, and they didn't talk about it. Now you have Aviv Kohavi, the head of the, the chief of staff of the IDF in Washington, saying the J word, talking about the JCPOA, and trying to maneuver this in a way. Obviously, Israel can can only affect it in the margins, but sort of Naftali Bennett ramping up his engagement in this and saying, essentially, maybe we can still affect something. The longevity. I mean, saying that Americans say it should be built longer and stronger. So maybe in that regard, inspections. Um, research, etc., we can change or make a little bit of a change here. Of course, he will be attacked uh, ceaselessly by the head of opposition, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, here in Israel, who's yeah. already been doing this. Uh, let's hear a little bit of what he's been saying this week in English here. Lapid promised Blinken that Israel would not surprise the United States on matters relating to Iran's nuclear program. I always reserve the right to act on our own without informing our American friends. And that's why this government is so dangerous to our future. I mean, really laying in to uh, Naftali Bennett there, saying, you know, this terrible, dangerous government. And Lapid, yeah. And, and Lapid as well. And, you know, I think it's quite interesting that that it wasn't quite the kind of Hollywood production values that we've been used to. <laughs> you notice with, that? With um, Netanyahu's videos, this was a bit like a sort of amateur TikTok that your teenage kid may Because the you know, topic r- is urgent, up. Jonathan. It's urgent. We need yeah. To put it I'm, out. But the, here's the thing about Bennett that I think is, a, it, it, it will, to me, is interesting, is let's say the engagement that you mentioned works in Washington, and he somehow gets a deal that is better for Israel and worse for Iran, say. 
do Israelis then accept that that's what happened and and applaud Lapid and Bennett and say, you've got a better deal? Or do they automatically assume that this deal is, that if Bennett's accepting it, it's not because it's a better deal, it's because he's weaker than mm-hmm. Netanyahu. You know, even if the deal is better, will Israelis think, well, we know, the one thing we know is Bibi said no, and this the new guys are saying yes, they're a pushover. Yeah, well, definitely Netanyahu and Netanyahu's legacy is to be very tough on this topic. I think the question is, what has that toughness achieved? Uh, Was it a good route for Israel to take? And when you look at 12 years ago, how close Iran was to the bomb, you look at it today, how different is it? Uh, and, and, And so that's a question. I'm sure that they will be, no matter what happens. They will be attacked by the opposition here and, and Benjamin Netanyahu, first and foremost, saying they're weak. That's for sure. Um, how this plays out in Israel has a lot to do with the way it is contextualized. Um, but I, I, I do want to make a note of the fact that Netanyahu, again, I think this is important. He didn't say this. He said this message that we heard now, you know, that Lapid Bennett is dangerous uh, for this country because of their, uh, the way they're treating the Iran uh, deal and the U.S. He said it in English. He was sending a message, not only to Israelis, he wasn't sending a message to the GOP, he was sending a message to the uh, evangelicals, and he was sending a message to the U.S. in general. Guys, these people, they don't know what they're doing, and I'll be back very soon. And this is where I think Bennett and Lapid and anybody, anybody is outgunned by Netanyahu, is just... The juice on Capitol Hill that um, Netanyahu had, you know, like him or hate him, you just could not deny that he made himself, I don't mean Israel, he made himself Mm -hmm. such a political player in in American politics, partly just by through sheer longevity. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, people had long congressional careers still uh, didn't match uh, Bibi's uh, whole you know, uh, duration in American politics. And therefore, he just knew everybody and knew how to, what buttons to press. Yeah. And there He doesn't is no... have the same buttons. He didn't have no. the same buttons now as he did in 2015 when Congress was Republican and when he could pull a hundred, off a speech uh, in front of Congress. A hundred percent. But Bennett and Lapid just don't have any of that. They just True. don't have the sort of familiarity, the first name terms, the long histories with, you know, the junior congressman, from, sorry, the congressman from Indiana's, you know, district Netanyahu would know him would know his district etc I mean it's just it's a tougher uh, hill for uh, mountain for them to climb but um, you know I think if the if if people are looking in an unjaundiced way the fact is it may be a better deal and if that is a better deal that could be notched up as a very early win for uh, mm-hmm. Bennett and Lapid as I say if they can persuade Israelis to believe them rather than thinking they were somehow rolled by by the new administration in Washington, D.C. Again, the Trump effect was important here because if you're in the Middle East and you have someone behind you who seems volatile and unexpected and can do all kinds of things like taking down Qasem Soleimani, that is in some ways helpful to Israel. You have, again, a different administration, not only here. So that plays out differently. Yeah, I like the um, the so-called madman theory there that was the 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 technique that apparently nixon uh, was the originator of he used to tell kissinger just tell them i'm crazy and i might do anything and therefore that would give extra leverage and i think you know trump and in a funny way even bb had a little bit of that going for them which is yeah. the idea that you know you just don't know what they'll do um but certainly trump had that um we should talk about the rest of the world a bit or when i we say should? the rest of the world the it's, rest it's, of the world it's our classic it's our classic maneuver um it's how the rest of the world still sees israel don't worry but 
It's uh, two things happened in America this week that caught my eye, and I thought, I don't know if these are straws in the wind, if these are signs of what's coming, or if they're just quite, fr- they're both quite fringy things, to be honest. One, as you know, it's Pride Month, and uh, we saw Yair Lapid ordering the Pride flag to be flown from uh, the foreign ministry, I think. And, you know, Israel often praising itself for being a kind of leader on gay rights issues, LGBTQ rights. And But this week they have been shunned by the Chicago Dyke March, which is a big event in the LGBTQ calendar. And they, uh, they've been shunned in the form of a sort of brand logo for the event, which shows a woman on top of a what looks like a kind of armoured vehicle burning two flags, and in one, one in each hand. One is the American flag and the other is the Israeli flag. And maybe in a way people would have thought, look, if they're against America, it's no, it's, you know, they're, they're obviously a pretty radical group and therefore it's no big deal. They're burning the Israeli flag. But this group has previous, as they say, because in 2017, the same March banned um, a few activists from carrying Jewish pride flags. These were rainbow colored flags with the Star of David in the middle. They were banned, in other words, from carrying a Jewish symbol. There was a big argument afterwards where the organisers said, no, we didn't want them because we thought they were Zionist symbols and they would have made people feel unsafe because they were uh, too associated with Israel. You know, I don't know. It's um, it's it's sort of quite a, a moment where even, this was four years ago in 2017, but you can't carry a Jewish symbol. Now, you know, the flag is shown burning. Admittedly, it's the flag of Israel. But the that came together with the second thing, which is in Philadelphia, a food festival disinvited a food truck um, under the name Moshava, run by an Israeli-American, Israeli citizen of the United States living in Philadelphia, who was selling food from his food truck. And again, because the name and the word was too associated with Israel, he was told he was unwelcome and booted out of the festival. There's been a huge row, and now the festival itself is cancelled. But I don't know. What do you think? Are these straws in the wind? Are these telling us something or or not? Well, I mean, can I be Israeli and blunt about this? Not like a product of American elementary school, but just um, outspoken and Middle Eastern about this for a minute? Go for it. Is that okay? Be Israeli. So, um, you know, the Chicago March poster, I just want to say uh, burning American flags and Israeli flags. um, Come back to planet Earth people. I mean, you're very far in space. Just let the mother earth find, mother ship find you and take you back. Um, and the food truck story is just so many mistakes. They took the food truck. The organizers of the, the event just took every wrong turn on this story. But I'm not sure, as you say, that these are just uh, these small incidents. I, I think we're seeing something that is bigger uh, here. And we've talked about this. We talked about the fact that you know, this, the, the Gaza issue um, erupted in, in, in violence, not only in Europe, but in the United States. And we're seeing all these kinds of incidents. And I think that what, what we should be talking about is two things. One, there's something inter- internal happening in the United States in the way that, that what happened in the Trump years, what I, I think you can say is the spiraling of, of the American political system, right? You saw the extreme right going out into the streets, feeling like they have the support trickling down from the top. And now in that kind of equation, you're seeing the radical left coming out. There is never this sort of vacuum. It's kind of a response to this. And maybe people who thought a little bit, it's analogous to the fact that you thought maybe coronavirus will be over because we have vaccines. The effect of the Trump years on the American political system, with no relation to Israel, by the way, in this this regard, it's still there. 
and it yeah. isn't ameliorated by the way that by that fact. Yeah, no, and, thing, things have definitely radicalised. I mean, I suppose what sort of the nerve it strikes in me a little bit is first of all, it's a kind of unthinking, reflexive exclusion, not just of Israel, which is what I think mm-hmm. is going on with that flag, but yeah. of anything that is even slightly, you know, wrongly associated with Israel. So they look askance at the pride flag, which was actually a Jewish symbol, and say, no, it's it's just within, you know, it's within the same uh, postal district as Israel, and therefore, no, we're not having it. And I think that was what was going on with the food truck. You know, it's very tempting to say these things, they're out in outer space, and it's irrelevant. Andrew Breitbart. No, I didn't say it was irrelevant. I just said, thought it was radical. It was yeah. extremely, this is not the mainstream of it the is, American it, so thinking. It's, it's definitely not the mainstream. I agree with you. But Andrew Breitbart, of all people, that guy really who was Trump before Trump on the on the, on the the radical right, he always said that politics is downstream of culture. Mm-hmm. In other words, the shifts happen in the culture first and then all formal politics feels them later. So even though these groups are quite fringy and they're very fringy and radical and, and probably unrepresentative, it just makes you think is this what is coming and this idea that even as an association as i say even a mistaken association may be enough to that it leads to a kind of ostracism and that's that could be that would be a big that's shift worrying in but i think i think what we need to kind of look at here and this does have to do with israel is not what's happening in the radical left let's look at the progressive left and let's even look at the mainstream left Israel right. has a problem there, right? It started before the Trump years, right? I think we mentioned this before. The March 3rd, 2015, Netanyahu speaking in front of Congress over the head of a Democratic American a president that was, you know, the American left thought that was, and the liberal Jewish community thought that was incredibly disrespectful. And then came the Trump years, and that fanned the flames because people felt like they're, you know, the equation between Trump and Netanyahu and Israel, uh, and began to see uh, Israel is a branch of the Democrat of, of of the Republican Party and a branch of Trump. So there's a sentiment in the American left that we can't ignore, uh, which is you know, and they're fiercely critical of Israel, not anti-Israel. We need to address that, and Lapid and Bennett need to address this. I'm saying more Lapid than Bennett because it's easier for a centrist to address it than it would be for a person who comes from the hard right. He needs to meet with these people. Lapid needs to talk to them. You need to talk to the people on the progressive left. Are still Zionist, you need to talk to the AOCs, talk to them. And 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 when you have a prime minister in Israel who said he was for the annexation, that's still a problem in a sense for that community. But you yeah. can say most Israelis don't support this. I mean, there is a what I'm trying to say is that the fringe uh is is one thing to deal with, but the, the mainstream is another problem, and it's a real problem. That yeah, Israel no, I, needs I think to that's it's a very good idea about dialogue. And I, I think Lapid, you know, for the first time in a long time, is somebody you could imagine sending into that room without thinking, you know, without looking at it through your fingers, you know, terrified of what they're going to say wrong, which is how, you know, one has felt for best part of two decades in terms of Israeli uh, government leaders. So Lapid, you can imagine, but I do wonder if he, even he, would really struggle to use the kind of language that would be persuasive even to the quite moderate American left now. You know, would he use a word like injustice? Would he use mm-hmm. a word like inequality? I just don't know if he would be able to use the vocabulary that not just AOC, but actually some of the more moderates would would need to hear an Israeli recognise. I think, you know, in the old days, a Perez or, uh, you know, Shimon Perez was the best at it. He could come before an audience in Paris or London or New York. And he just knew 
to say the right things in terms of we desperately want peace or we want our children to live in harmony. And that would be enough. But I think now mm. it's different vocabulary you need to use. The mm -hmm. bar is set higher. And I just wonder if because of the domestic constraints that would pull Lepid back, back at home, he wouldn't be able to actually find it in himself to say what that group would need to hear. Um, I agree that I don't know. And I also don't know that they recognize this as a big problem. I think they think internally and uh, outwardly that the problem has been solved because Bibi is no, no longer prime minister. Yes. But it hasn't. It's no. still there and it needs to be addressed. No, there's more to be done. It, it was interesting that, you know, this can this is an absolute half glass. It's either half full or half empty, depending which way you look at it. The the result in the New York mayoral res, uh, race, I say result, we actually yeah, don't you know. Yeah, what results, Jonathan? We, we you, don't know. Do you know, know something we don't? This makes Israeli elections look <laughs> lightning speed. They've had, a, a, this is the primary on the Democratic side to choose who will run in the November election. It's kind of assumed in New York City that once you've won the Democratic primary, the job is yours. They've tallied up and the, you know, some the most moderate voice in the race, Eric Adams, came first, but they haven't yet added up the second preference and third preferences because they're for the first time they're doing ranked voting it's a bit you know here it takes a cup 24 hours but in london uh that we'd use that exact rank choice system but for some reason new york hasn't quite got its head around it and so it's going to take <laughs> weeks and so it's hard to read this uh, election result whether the left did well because the moderate candidate only got about 31 32 percent of the vote or did the left do badly because the so-called moderate came first on first preferences i don't know it depends how you look at it yeah it sounds like you really want to go to new york jonathan i want to go anywhere you, have a, you want a craving you have a craving for new york That's uh, yeah it would be like nice to go anywhere um because <laughs> you know we are red listed and amber listed up to our eyeballs there's very few places we are allowed to stray so that's maybe why i'm looking lovingly across the atlantic ocean just imagining having a proper uh, a political race to cover that would be fun um we have awards to hand out i think always do um, we do. And so actually sticking with our theme of pride and uh, unexpected uh, uh, decisions made there, I, I don't want people to think I'm obsessed with New York kosher delis. Um, talking of <laughs> talking A, of hullishing and B, looking <laughs> lovingly across the ocean, longingly. Um, but once again, they seem to have gone made. You know, the, the other day on, the, on this show, we were talking about how they had uh, stamped as kosher uh, a ham this time they did something which may actually, for some followers of Orthodox Judaism in New York, be no less shocking, which is two New York kosher delis sent out pride messages to their customers on their database and then hastily, or at least one of them, then hastily withdrew the messages. It's blaming that it was that their marketing company had made a mistake. But um, I think this is like a double chutzpah. It's kind of chutzpah for, you know, the comedy of sending out and shocking, you know, the sending uh, their customers into a fit of the conniptions as they suddenly got the rainbow flag in with their order of kreplach and chopped liver <laughs> And thinking, what the hell is this? And then immediately withdrawing the endorsement straight after. It's one of those sort of double hooks where you've managed to actually offend everyone all in one go. Um, okay, I think we'll give that to you just for your sheer sticking with the New York kosher delis thing. But I have a nominee for chutzpah. Okay. Um, which really stands out. I think um, maybe calling it chutzpah is kind of minimizing it, but uh, we'll put it here anyway. And this is the, the Britney Spears case against her father uh, being in, uh, heard in the U.S. court. This week, this is kind of amazing what is coming out, like 
her father being in control of her. She's an adult. She's 39 years old. Um, and, and not only her business, but all of her affairs. She testified. She said this was an abusive relationship. Has been going on since 2008. Uh, he said he put her on lithium against her wishes. He doesn't allow her to marry her boyfriend and have another baby. Now, again, this is an adult woman, mother of two. We're in 2021. It's, it's amazing. We have to explain why this is ludicrous, um, that he has this uh, conservatorship over his daughter. Um, and, and the comment from his lawyer was really just pure chutzpah. He said he's sorry to see his daughter suffering in so much pain. Mr. Spears loves his daughter and he misses her very much. Yeah. No, this is just terrible. It is. It's a terrible story. And I think people have also slightly sort of looking with some shame about how they used to follow you know Britney Spears and her ordeals and trials and and sort of not take them seriously and now thinking okay they missed something there um so mensch you do mensch I'll do my mensch what do you yes um so the mensch uh, uh I thought we could nominate Jana Vinarova who will not be a name people recognize because she changed her name and grew up to become Janet Malcolm uh journalist and writer for the New Yorker uh, still writing for them not that long ago. She died uh, in her 80s and really was a very important journalist. I know we, 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 you and I both actually often mention journalists on the show, but, um, you know, a Jewish refugee from uh, Czechoslovakia in the 1930s went on to become such a sort of singular voice in American journalism, wrote a lot for The New Yorker. And uh, her particular thing was really to sort of reveal what journalists often do and the kind of complex, and she would say in some often dishonest relationship journalists have with their subjects and how they sort of lure them and deceive them into telling their stories and, and being like sort of seducers. Uh, she, I, she became a kind of conscience for a lot of journalists, I think, because she did expose in some ways, the darker side of our craft. And uh, I think she just was a, 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 you know, an important voice. And with given where she came from and where she got to, uh, somebody worthy of recognition this week. And in the Freud archives is just a perfect book. I'll just add into that. But yes, read her. She's an incredibly interesting uh, voice. Um, my Mensch Award nominee, Jonathan, goes to my neighbor here in Tel Aviv, living pretty much across the road, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, who, I love that. You know, that is very, very cool. <laughs> I mean, as name dropping goes, that is quite good, isn't yes, it? Yes, I don't do name dropping a lot, but I think if you want to drop a name, just make it big, is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, so, yes, good. he's been living in Israel the past year. He's married to Daniela Peek. She's an Israeli model and a singer, and they have a son. And he was talking about uh, studying and learning Hebrew with his toddler with the help of kids' programs on TV. This is what he told Jimmy Kimmel this week. He watches these like baby TV kind of things oh, and wow. it's all in Hebrew. And so I'm learning with him things like, you know, <laughs> oh, cat is katul, uh, horse is sus, uh, cow is para. All right, so I'm learning, you know, the Sesame Street, the Hebrew Sesame Street version. It's a good of, way to uh, do it. Uh, Hebrew. Yeah, okay, maybe he needs a little bit of Hebrew lessons from you as well, Jonathan. But um, <laughs> just a request for Mr. Tarantino. I mean, you're a great director and all, but uh, I do not want to see your version of Sesame Street, okay? Just, I don't want to see Quentin Tarantino takes on Sesame Street, everyone walking around with, uh, you know, samurai swords saying to kill Big Bird. No, no, no. no just no, keep on making those films for grown-ups. Don't even give him the idea. I don't like that. <laughs> No, I, I look. Can I make a confession to you, Yonit? I am not. Please. I know my. You know, I know that uh, more admirable observers of the genre than me 
really admire him or expert uh, observers. For me, I've never really loved Quentin Tarantino. <gasps> no, when he's and, practically Jewish, when he's practically on, we got him on our I side. Was, I know, and he's your near neighbour, and I'm sure you're knocking his door, borrowing a cup of sugar. Throwing screenplays in there. But I don't. Oh, I dropped my I, screenplay. I'm sorry. Quentin. You're gonna. It's you know they're a bit. Of, I don't like. I don't love the violence, and I find them just a little bit exploitative. And Inglorious Bastards, I thought, took a story and a heritage, and I think Django Unchained the same. Though isn't really his to take, and just sort of um, exploits it for violence. That said, I've never felt more warmly towards him than I do having heard his. Hebrew for beginners experiment just then, <laughs> which was very endearing. And so, who knows? I may be won over. And look, the films, have, are, the films are brilliantly made. I have a more awkward confession than yours, Josh. Oh, go on. Which is, I can't watch the violence in his films because I cannot uh, deal with graphic violence. So, I um, somewhere very early along the line, Mr. Tarantino and I had to part ways. So, but people kept talking about his films. So, I actually read his screenplays. So, I've read Tarantino's films. They're that very is, good on. They're very good is, on paper. <laughs> that is peak nerd, Yoni. You're already such a geek. No, no, and no. That no is, you cannot judge me that for is, being a nerd. That, that is, is that's chutzpah. That is chutzpah. But that is, you know, from one geek to another, that is peak <laughs> geek. Which is like me. Actually, you're, you've just said the same thing. I can't do violent films either. Is the truth, and I don't like them. And so that's probably why I have I've had the allergy. But to to then because you want to keep up with everyone else to read the scripts. <laughs> Is they're pretty fantastic. good. I'm just saying they're pretty good. And now, you know, I just, yeah. I, I once heard uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, by the way, on uh, New Yorker Radio admitting that she can't stand horror movie films, the woman who started her career in horror. And oh. she had she had to watch Silence of the Lambs so she got the makeup artist to give her the complete lineup of the film. Like yeah. every place she has to close her eyes. I wish there was an app for that. So that would be a good app. You could let, you're in the land of the startup. Start Invent <laughs> the wuss app for the cowards <laughs> among us. That could be good, couldn't it? And you could call it worse. And and it could come with an extra feature where you can, it automatically puts your fingers over your eyes, um, which you could See? say for when Israeli politicians go in to meet American politicians. So it could have a double use. We're on to something. I, I think, think we are on something. Yet again, we have come up with the next big thing. Remember, review us, give us five stars, tweet about us on Instagram. We are at two Jews, just letters, no numbers. Ping us, mention us, post, whatever it is people do on all the various social media platforms. Do that and recommend us to your friends. And thank you to our executive producer, Lior Friedman, who suffers us every week without complaining. Rom Attic, head of podcasts, and Omer Primat and Irad Eshel for original music. I don't think you used enough Yiddish words this time, uh, Jonathan, so please improve yourself. Till next time. Okay, next to I think. I think I used plenty. <laughs> it's very, very good being with you. You'll need to see you next time.